0: Well, well, how are you? Welcome to this next edition of Book by Book. We're doing the Book of 1 Peter in the New Testament at the moment here in All Souls Church in Langham Place, London, England. And with me is my colleague, Dr. Paul Blackham, who ministers here in London. And also we're joined by our special guest, Don Carson, Professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Illinois. And uh, we're very, very pleased to be joining you and sharing in this study. And if we're going to do one, Peter, we're on the second study now. Chapter 1, verse. let's do verse 13, shall we? Uh, Right through to chapter 2, verse 10. I hope you've got a Bible with you, and if so, get it out, and we're going to read a little bit here. I'm going to start off, I can't read it all, but I'm going to start off with a little bit. Let me read from verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, for I am holy." Now what's this about? I mean, we're thinking about, I think, living the gospel Uh, on the part of those who were the strangers, these people who were scattered, being persecuted in the days of the Roman Empire, these people to whom the Apostle Peter was writing. And I'd like to start with you, Don, really. Um, Prepare your minds. How does Peter want us to prepare our minds?
1: He gives us a whole series of admonitions. Uh, The first is, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you. That does not mean that you sort of ratchet up the hope function within you, yeah. sort of um, get yourself hoping it's more and more hope. and more, yeah, yeah. turn it on, and then suddenly decide what it is that you want to hope for. Rather, the way you set your hope on something in Scripture is by focusing attention on the object. In other words, if, if you set your mind to think of what the final glory will be, You you make it a matter of disciplined practice to think through what the ultimate goal of being with God forever is, in a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness, where there's no more decay and no more sin, where God is at the center of everything, where we'll love each other perfectly. You set your mind on that sort of thing, and it orientates you in your whole life. And and that's the framework in which we're told to be self-controlled. That's the framework in which we're told to be holy because God is holy. If we're setting our our mind on the new heaven and the new earth, the home of righteousness, then we remember that holiness is, is what the theologians call a communicable attribute of God. That is, it's one that can be shared with us. The Bible never says, be omniscient, because I am omniscient, B- because God can't share his omniscience. It does say, be holy, for I am holy, because in that respect, we are to be like God. And so, all of the things that come up here, oh, verse 17, for example, we're to remember that God is a Father who judges each man's work impartially. The, the father of the clan in those days yes. had a certain kind of judging role so we remember that God stands over against us and then in the following verses we remember the glory of the gospel itself all of this is part of a mental commitment to think God's thoughts after him to absorb the Word of God to take on the values of eternity that the Bible wants that's a mental discipline we prepare our minds and set our hope on the things to be revealed nothing else is going to take us through uh, hard experiences if our if our thinking is not already lined up very substantially with what the Bible says, then when we go through these sufferings, we not only face the sufferings, we may also face an additional psychological suffering of not understanding why we're going through the sufferings. If, in yes, fact, sure. we already think about these things from God's perspective, then you go through the sufferings, but, 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 but you have a stability to the whole thing because, because you're already living with eternity. Oh, Don, that's year. so important. So that the great gift is understanding
0: what um, is going on. That's right. This yeah. is why I prepare your minds. Yeah, that's right. Very, very helpful indeed. Paul, may I ask you a question? I mean, following Christ, as these people were doing, meant for them, as for many people today, the loss of so much, finances, loss of home, sometimes loss of family. And uh, loss of traditions, all of those things. Um, how could we be ever willing
2: to face this? Well, in this sense, he picks up that theme about the great worth values again. What are things really worth? Again, so he says, verse 18, you know that it was not with perishable things, such yeah. as.
0: 1 Peter 1 And he good. doesn't
2: say paper and wood, which we would say I are perishable. Silver and gold, so he picks, like, really what would be very, sort of, stable currency. And they're they're perishable. So he says, not that, and then your empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers. So that's on the one column, and he outweighs that with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. So... He just does a little balance sheet and he says, well, well, think about the most valuable things you could possibly have. Hey, they're gonna perish. You haven't got them forever. And then he even thinks about traditions, your whole cultural heritage, which, you know, is usually a function of the religious background. And he says, oh, that's just empty. Mm -hmm. That's empty compared to this thing. This, the death of Christ, the lamb, chosen before the world began, before there was anything, before there was silver, gold, any traditions, any forefathers, yeah. anything. That is what God the Father said, this is the really valuable thing which will outlast every other thing and is the foundation for the whole of creation. It is Him, Jesus Christ, He's the centrepiece, the, the, the diamond theologically speaking, in a sense, that uh, although even diamonds I suppose will be perishable in Peter's is um, This outweighs everything. So he's really saying do some hard thinking about the future, as we've been thinking about, and do some real balance sheets according to God the Father's arithmetic, mm. and then you'll see that everything that seems worth staking your life upon is not worth it except this one thing, because the whole creation rests on this.
0: I like the repetition of the silver and gold. I mean, in chapter 1, verse 7, we had, your faith is of greater worth than gold, which precious, but now the thing on which we have pinned our faith. These things, which, uh, verse 18, not with perishable things, as you were saying, of silver or gold, uh, but with the precious blood of Christ, far more valuable even than silver or gold. Very important indeed. Uh, May may I come to you, Don, for a minute? I'd like to ask about, in in chapter 1, verse 3, the new birth was there. He's given us new birth. And again, I think it's coming up once more, so that, I would like to ask, how does being born again enable us to love deeply and to continue in the faith and to um, be worthwhile, holy Christians?
1: Well, this um, new birth is what transforms us. It utterly transforms us. In other words, we don't have the capacity by turning over a new leaf or, Mm -hmm. or merely resolving a little more strongly. To, um, to 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 love one another truly. What is so interesting about the mention of new birth, as it's picked up in verses 22 and following, is that this is tied to the word of God. Um, this word has already come to us. This this gospel truth, and um, Peter says you've already obeyed it, and as a result there is love for for brothers. But now he says. "'You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God.'" And then he quotes the words from Isaiah, "'All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever.'" That is to say, all of the things that they are going through, all of the human experiences of suffering, it's all part of a fallen, decaying order that does not finally stand. What has given them new birth is the Word of God that always stands. It's absolutely certain. This Word confronts them. It calls them into life. That's the powerful word of the gospel which actually brings them to new birth. It elicits faith. It transforms them, and it is as stable and sure as God's own Word, which is precisely what is called that faith into being, that new birth into life. And and um, as Jesus himself uh, elsewhere says, that uh, everything else pa- perishes. The whole world passes away, but his Word does not uh, pass away. So also here, whether in the words of Isaiah or the words of 1 Peter, that what uh, gives them a stable, eternal perspective is understanding this new birth which gives them power to love one another and to overcome um, the hatreds and the bitternesses of persecution, and still to love one another gloriously for the gospel's sake, is generated by a transformation that is as stable and as eternal as the Word of God itself.
0: And the Word of God is uh, repeated in a way there in chapter 2 verse 2, is when you move on, like yes. newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk, which I think is a direct translation from the Greek there, the New Testament, pure spiritual milk, Um, which seems to be, again, the Word of God, so that people can, as they feed upon that, and it says in verse 4, as you come to him, that seems to be a sort of reason for coming to God at the beginning of the day. What can I learn from God today from his Word? And having learned it, how can I please him today? So coming to him every day with the Word of God to strengthen us is a well i'm sure you do it every day paul and we try and do it every day as we come to him Uh, paul why don't we look on at verses four onwards it's a sort of picture language here of christian people being rather like a temple building like in the old testament of old uh, with a priesthood offering sacrifices and so forth and then how can every christian be a priest because
2: that seems to be the implication here well peter is, is a fantastic Bible scholar and the more I've studied the more I appreciate him and if he isn't actually quoting it he's usually got it in his wing mirror and he's and he's thinking about it and and here he's probably really got his Bible in his desk open at Exodus 19 probably in verse six where um, the the Old Testament church has been brought out of Egypt and they're there at Mount Sinai and the very first thing that's told them is this commissioning. And he says to them although the whole earth is mine you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation Peter seems to have that uh, in his mind and he's really saying it's not this priestly function of standing between God and the world uh, representing each to the other is uh, is not a thing by an elite a small group of people it's the function of the entire body it's the action of us all together We all do it. Um, So he's going to unfold that, that his very first thing is a sort of gospel challenge straight away where he says, okay, that's what you are. You're all priests ministering in this way, bringing the world to God through the gospel, representing God to the world so that he is properly represented to them. And then he does that by saying, and this is it, the gospel, and it's about Jesus Christ. And he goes back to a sort of evangelistic uh, sermon of Isaiah (laughs) when he says, Isaiah said, Here is Christ, he is the foundation stone. Everybody must be confronted by him. You either are built upon him, and you'll never be put to shame in this age and the age to come, or you're gonna be crushed by that stone, that foundation stone. But either way, this is the decisive moment. So he's inspiring them, really, in the work as priests to make this representation to the world. Whether people accept it or not, that is the challenge. So he's commissioning them, his readers, to be these priests, and to get on with that priestly work, which has always been the work of the, of the people of God.
0: And part of what they're to do is to declare the praises, that's verse 9, chapter 1 Peter 2, 9, chosen people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Don, could you give us some uh, tips as to how we
1: do that? How do we declare the praises? Um, There are probably two hints in the passage itself. Um, On the one hand, there is a kind of word of testimony, uh, because the text goes on to talk about how they were once not a people, but then they were converted. They have become the children of God. Once they had not received mercy, but now they have received mercy. There is an element of, of testimony that says, once I was blind, but now I see. In other words, there is not merely distanced theological argumentation. There is also personal testimony in all of this. But at the same time, if we are to declare the praises of God who has done this, then it really turns out to be, in the whole flow of the argument, the the, the praises of God in the gospel who has brought about this salvation. When when Paul describes his his evangelistic ministry in Romans 15, he actually uses priestly language there, the, the language of, of of priestly service, priestly worship. In other words, um, when we're evangelizing, we're engaged in priestly worship. Mm. It's true that the people of God in the Old Testament did constitute a nation of priests. But also, within the Old Testament, there was a particular priestly tribe that had certain mediatorial functions, go-between functions, between God and the rest of his people. But but now that's, that's changed. Under the terms of the New Covenant, all of the people of God are priests. Um, or, alternatively, Christ himself alone is the go-between between God and human beings. But when in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, we're all priests, the way we exercise this priestly function is profoundly by declaring the praises of God. That is by declaring the gospel, what God has done triumphantly in Christ, what God has done by giving his own son, what God has done by raising him from the dead, what God has done by pouring out his spirit, what God has done by justifying sinners, what God has done ultimately um, in, in giving us the promise of the new heaven and the new earth still to come. And we bear witness not only to that truth, but also to the fact that we have participated in it by faith.
0: I love it. I love it, and I love the way you have ended up really with the whole idea of every Christian being a priest. So these scattered believers, wherever they were, and you may be one of them, uh, what is your chief calling in life? Yeah, you might have a job, you might be out of a job. You might be a bricklayer, you might be a road sweeper, you might be working with computers, I don't know what. But actually your top calling is not that. Your top calling is to be a priest of the Lord Jesus Christ, bringing people to him and bringing him to a people as well in your own way. And wherever you are, we say to you, thank you for joining in the study.